Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome everyone. I'm really excited about uh, today's conversation. Someone who I consider a friend and uh, a real inspirational human being. One of the most uh, genuine and sincere and authentic human beings I've had the pleasure to come across. Uh, you probably in some way, shape or form have been touched by her work directly or indirectly. Uh, she is the, uh, the best-selling author of the New York Times best-selling book, Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She's a gifted licensed marriage and family therapist, teacher to thousands of uh, people from all corners of the world. Uh, she trains coaches in her work of calling in the one. And so if you feel ready to uh, invite more love into your life on all levels, especially calling in the one, and who wouldn't want to call in more of the one, uh, this is going to be an amazing conversation. Uh, I, I, I also heard that uh, uh, calling in the one came out in 2004. If you haven't read the book, go get the book. It is a, a, a simple, profound, powerful uh, guidebook for relationships and ultimately your own uh, personal growth. It was one of the uh, first books to introduce metaphysics with uh, the, the, the topic of attracting love and relationship and a partner into your life. So uh, she's a pioneer and uh, we're blessed to have her on uh, Soul Talk. Catherine, welcome to the conversation. Oh, thank you, Coot. I just adore you. I'm such a fan of yours and I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. Mm, thanks for coming on. I've been looking forward to just chatting and uh, kind of exploring with you. And so, you know, talking about calling in the one, I, I'd love to be, I'd love to take a moment to focus on that. Um, I think it's a timeless topic. I think there's so many folks that this is very near and dear to. So you know, I'm just curious. I don't think I've asked you, I know we've, we've, we've spoken before, but I don't think I've actually asked you directly. When you say the one, like, number, firstly, what do you mean by like the one, you know, we often hear like, is there just one person, you know, is there just like the one soulmate? So what do you mean by the one? And is there only one? Like, can you elaborate? Of course, that's a great question. And actually, I'll tell you kind of the inside joke of our community <laughs> is that people get to the end of the book and they go, oh, calling in the one was calling in myself. <laughs> I uh <-huh>. get it. <laughs> right? Because calling in the one is about becoming a whole person and a congruent person. And very often those of us who struggle with relationships um, are, are, are kind of habitually in um, a, a, a kind of search for wholeness and mm. 
Um, and yet we're coming uh, with kind of all of these uh, incompletions and incongruencies within us. And so part of us wants relationship, part of us doesn't want relationship. You know, it's hard to admit that because most of us on the surface, of course, we de- you know desperately want to find, you know, our, our, our one or our soul tribe. If, you know, people have you know, hunger for the ones as well. And I don't just mean that, you know, sexually or romantically, but I do have respect for, you know, what people, whatever people choose that that looks like, love looks like for them. But I think there's also, for all of us now, a hunger to find our soul tribe and the people that we belong to. Um, and so there is this this drive that we have to to find the one, to find that, that particular person that, gets us and sees us and loves us unconditionally and sees our vision and sees the potential of who we are and partners with us to help us get there. And yet if we're coming into that connection, empty, wounded, hurting, looking, you know, desperately for someone to fix something that we think is wrong with us, um, then it's going to cause problems. So calling in the one is not just about becoming magnetic to that person and creating a miracle, um, which happens when we get congruent with any future that we're saying we say we want to create. Um, but it's also about growing ourselves whole and knowing who we are and knowing what we care about, knowing what we love, um, creating a life that's worth living and that lights us up, having ways of um, relating that are conducive to healthy, happy love over the long haul. And and, and basically, you know, it, it, it's really um, kind of the, the practicality of that, that irritating saying that so many of us hear, like who are single chronically, like, oh, you have to love yourself before you can love another, which sounds like a mountain, like, oh, you have to climb that <laughs> mountain before you can love someone or be loved by someone. <laughs> So, um, so it's kind of all of that, you know, it's a 49 day journey mm-hmm. and, uh, that takes us right into the heart of ourselves and into the center of our soul mm-hmm. so that we can attract in, you know, the love that we want. But really, I think the, the concept of calling in the one and the process of calling in the one allows us to become manifestors of any future that we desire to create. Mm-hmm. I love the the part that you're talking about, which is it's not just calling in someone else, which is obviously, you know, uh, an intended beautiful manifestation, but uh, calling in the, the the most, let's say, authentic version of yourself, the one within yourself, calling that forth. I think that's that's really powerful, and I I, I really feel important for people to hear, because um, we're talking about love. Um, I'm curious, uh, what are some of the, as you've worked with a lot of people, thousands of people from all walks of life and helping them, you could say, unblock and heal and transform, what are some of the, uh, I guess we could say, biggest uh, mistakes? And I I don't like to use that word mistakes, but I'll just use it for the conversation. But what are some of the biggest uh, mistakes you've seen uh, people make when it comes to or we could say even blocks, you know, that that people make when, when yeah. it comes to finding love. Yeah. Are there any themes that you've well, seen? Well, well, I think mistake is a good. Conscious of? Yeah, I mean, I think mistake is a, is a good word because even those of us mm. who are conscious people, you know, we we have to be aware of the pitfalls 
um, of our own assumptions and our, our own kind of habitual ways of looking at things. Um, it is a mistake to think that the obstacles of love uh, to to finding love are outside of ourselves. And that's a pretty radical statement because there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the world of dating and mating right now. Um, not the least of which is internet dating, which is a bit of a meat market and kind of crazy making because um, we're so filled with choice that it's, it, it, it escalates our anxiety about choosing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Um, uh, there's there's a modern romance which Aziz um, I can't remember Aziz's last name but Aziz wrote and and uh, he he kind of chunks out um, his own process of of a deep deepening into this where he went to nursing homes and he just interviewed people who were like in their 80s and 90s about how they found love and basically it was of some variation of well there was a girl who lived down the street and she was cute. You know, and then like period. And I, so I married her and then we had this family and we had a great life together. We were married for 50 years. So, you know, so, so the, just, just the vast, you know, insanity of, of internet dating. I mean, the glory of it too. And, and the, and the crazy making dynamics of it. So there's, there's things that we can point to that are outside of ourselves. You know, the changing roles of dating. So nobody knows exactly how this all works or, you know, there's no there's no good men in my city. And, you know, twice as many women are graduating from college as as men. And what does that do to, to finding partners who are, are equals and, you know, up to the same things that we are and have the same vision and the same goals? So there there are externals that are kind of crazy making. But if you're a person who's habitually struggled in this area or it's just hasn't worked and, and you basically have patterns that are showing up like somehow you're never really seen, you always wind up with people who are really narcissistic and self-absorbed and you get into these codependent dynamics or maybe you get abused or maybe you're just someone who's never asked out. At some point, you have to really say, how am I the source of this? How am I the source of this? Not the demographics in my city. Who am I being? What's going on within me? What are the parts of me that don't actually want a relationship? And what's really true about that? You know, so it's this, it's this process of getting conscious of ourselves as the source. And what I'm assuming about all of us here, because I know you're so conscious, so I can only imagine how conscious the people are that are following you, is that, you know, we are, we're kind of hip to the fact that we're creating our lives and, and we are miracle workers and we do have the power to generate the miraculous in our lives. And we are looking for the breakthroughs and, and we're not just praying for some good fortune to descend upon us. We see ourselves as active agents in our own transformation and in the fulfillment of our own deepest desires. And it's the same for intimate love. So yeah, there's, you know, always crazy stuff going on in any generation, right? There's always stuff you can point to that are outside of us. They're valid. They're real. We need to get related to them. We need to care about them so that we know how to consciously navigate them, but they don't have the power to determine our destiny. And because we, we, we want to find a way to access the power to create a deep and lasting, authentic, real shift such that the craziness of our upbringing, the wounds of our parents, the the lies in our lineage do not determine what's possible for us in love. 
And I think that that's a lot of what we're doing is we're kind of, as we get conscious, as we make more choices, what we're doing is we are, we're gathering our power to create deliberately how our lives are going to be. So it's not what happened to you. Of course, we know it's what what we do with what happens to us. And one of the things that we do is we say, you know, I'm here to heal myself and even, you know, backwards through my lineage. But the buck stops here. Like this pattern of abuse will go no further. Not in how I relate to myself and not in how I relate to others. And so calling in the one is about taking a stand that your past does not determine your future in love. Mm -hmm. That what determines our future is what we're standing to create in this moment, the vision of love that we're willing to stand for. And then our willingness to become the version of ourselves that would be congruent, that would be a match for that vision because that's what will compel the universe to bring that vision toward us. So that's the calling in the one journey and it's a wild ride and it's a beautiful ride and, um, and it's a liberating ride. And, you know, of course I hear from people all the time how their whole lives are different inside of doing this process. And, um, you know, not just in, in being able to manifest a beautiful relationship, but suddenly kind of waking up out of the trance of the old stories in general and and living a much more conscious and empowered life. You know, I, something you said, I think, is, is really uh, important. It was, a, it was a very powerful question you just brought up just now. How am I the source of this? I think it's a, it's a really important question to ask ourselves, how am I the source of this? A question of responsibility and awareness. And so, so I'm curious in, in, in the calling the one work, um, when someone, let's say, asks themselves that question, how am I the source of this? You know, I guess what's next? Are there steps? Are there like, what, what, what is the process for someone to move from being, from repeating mistakes and being unconscious and, 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 and spiraling in, attracting, you know, old dynamics over and over again. Like how, how does, I guess, how does one start healing and what is the process? Well, you kind of walk. Us I through think that. you're, yeah, I think you're asking the million dollar question. So first of all, mm-hmm. one of the problems that we have when we go to examine ourselves as the source, which is the point of power. Like if I'm co-creating this dynamic outside of conscious awareness, I want to know how I'm doing that so I can stop doing that and create something else. Um, I think that one of the problems with that is that when we go to say, how am I the source of this? We fall down the rabbit hole of psychology. And I get to pick psychology apart a little bit because I am a a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that's my training. But what I mean by that is we'll go, well, I'm the source of this because, you know, I can't have good boundaries. And that's because my father, you know, violated my boundaries and violated my mother's boundaries. And my mother never stood for herself. So I can't stand for myself. And woe is me. It doesn't go to it goes actually to a disempowered place as opposed to a powerful place. 
so it goes to a shame-based place. And, and ultimately, it will wind up with some variation on the question, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I ever get this right? How come other people can do this and I can't do this? You know, and, and this feeling like I'm just never going to be able to climb this mountain. And um, I think those of us have been doing a lot of work on ourselves that sometimes at some point we just get so sick of that telling that story because we want to be free of that story and we're looking for liberation. So what I mean when I say, how are you the source of it? is to track back the conversation in within yourself about the core assumptions that you have about yourself as it relates to other people and, and intimate love. And then to see how inside of that story, there are certain ways of relating that are designed to generate that story. So it's very behavioral. And in order to do this, you have to have a deep well of unconditional love for your own humanity. And you have to almost have an impersonal relationship with your personal experience. Like, wow, look at what we're doing. So what I mean by that on a very specific level is if you have a, 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 a some attachment wounding from very, very young, and, and I think all of the false beliefs about ourselves when it comes to love are attachment wounds in some way. You know, you, you mm-hmm. cried for hours in your crib and your mother didn't come because she was following that crazy Dr. Spock ideology back in the 1950s, which said, don't pick up your kids when they're crying. You're, you have to train them to be autonomous human beings. <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. Now we know it's the exact opposite, but that's mm-hmm. that was like the number two best-selling book in America for years. Wow. That, that wow. Dr. Spock advice back in the 50s and early 60s next to the Bible, second only to the Bible. So you have all Mm. the generation, my generation, because I just turned 60. So my generation, you know, all these folks who are kind of like shell-shocked from having never been held, really, because Mm. our mothers wanted to be good mothers and they weren't picking us up when we were crying. But so, so what's the consciousness that forms in response to an experience like that? Well, in that incidence, it's, it's this deep, pervasive, I'm alone that's really outside of language for some of us because we were too young. We didn't have language for it. We were just in the experience, in the somatic fire of it in our bodies. And that, of course, you know, created certain, um, you know, certain sensibilities around, you know, our nervous system and how we respond to things. So, so what happens when we form, we kind of lock into a consciousness, a sense of self, like I'm, I'm alone and no one's really there for me, right? That's the mm. relational aspect of I'm alone. No one's really, really here for me. So what happens is our bodies begin to, you know, form around that and our behavior forms around it. So I will then become a very self-sufficient person. I will then become probably a very giving person because my way of connecting to others is to give to them. But I will also Mm. become a person who doesn't really ask for much support. Or I will assume that in order to have relationship, I have to morph myself seamlessly into someone else's world. So So I'm alone is actually the core consciousness that's underneath codependence. 
so it, it's recognizing that, and if I'm codependent, well, that's a term. So what does that actually mean? Well, it means that I don't let conflict happen because conflict in my body will register as danger. Okay, this is the beginning of the end. This is where that other person leaves. So it's no, no one's really there for me and everybody always leaves. So when there's a, there's a conflict, I might either sidestep it, avoid it, self-abandon to stay bonded to the other person, abandon my own perspective to be in their perspective, or I'm going to do the opposite, which is I'm going to withdraw my energy and move them out because it's the beginning of the end, conflict ruins everything, they're about to leave me, so I might as well leave them first. So these are the kind of subtle ways that we perpetuate the story of aloneness. Now, and, and in our community, what we're doing is we're slowing that process down. We're breaking it down into atoms and the molecules of, you know, human consciousness and how we're generating our experience. And we are going back to the source, like what's, What's a deeper truth about this idea, you know, other than your six-month-old or your one-year-old or your 18-month-old experience, or maybe even in the fetus, you know, in the womb when you were forming fetus, because plenty of studies indicate that consciousness is forming back then. So what's really true about that? Well, we have the metaphysical truth, right, that, that we're all one, that we're all connected, but it's a little conceptual, when it comes to what's in our bodies in that moment when there's a fight between ourselves and another person, yeah. you know, there's a conflict. Um, so, so what's really true? Well, well, in this case, what's really true is that conflict is actually the number one best way to deepen a relationship, mm. to make it more real. That's what mm. studies show, right? Mm. That, that, that real bonds that last for decades form because it's safe to have conflict and the conflict can be used to deepen understanding between each other. There's skill involved, like how to navigate conflict so it doesn't go south. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we've all been working at, you know, what happens when we give up being right, when mm-hmm. we try and listen to someone else's perspective, when we try to mirror that back to them and really see it from their perspective you know, all of this skill building that we're doing. But that's not the end. The end is is, is a beautiful relationship. Like that's just the means to get there. That's just the that's just the missing development that we never got in a household where people left us a little too alone. And we never really saw people working out conflict well. But conflict is the number one thing. How we work out conflict is the number one thing that actually bonds people when we do that well. Interesting. So if someone, um, you know, let's say someone's listening and, and they, they have this pattern of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm alone, no one's there for me, and our behavior is formed around that, and maybe this is the story of their life. I, I guess how, 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 does some, how do we shift that? How do we, because I think it's a belief that can become so ingrained and experiences of life. It is we so pervasive. Yeah. 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 So how, how, do we, so how do we begin shifting that? Because I, I, I don't get, you can just do an affirmation and go, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. So how, what, what is a step that someone can take who really is, they feel like 
Catherine, I'm alone. I really look, look at my life. I'm alone. And, and, yeah. and so how mm-hmm. to shift that belief? Well, um, I think, you know, a lot of, uh, it is the question of our, 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 of our time because we're talking about how do mm-hmm. we really evolve consciousness? And I think that that's something that we're collectively really leaning into. Um, And I think it's our contribution to the chain of human development. You know, some generations built railroads. We're we're building new neuropathways and we're we're building a a way to evolve beyond those original decisions that we made about who we were, how others feel about us and what's possible for us to have or not have in this lifetime. So the way that we work with it in our community is, um, first of all, I think there's a lot of power in being able to find in your body where that, where the core of that story is held mm. and to really name it. And a lot of these beliefs kind of live outside of language, but they're in the energetic field. You know, we know this about each other. We, when we get in the company of each other, we can feel each other. We feel someone's warmth or we feel someone's coldness. We feel someone's availability or their unavailability. We feel whether they're living in a friendly universe or a dangerous universe. You know, you don't, people don't even have to say anything. And we know this about each other. So the, those are beliefs that are living in the energetic, somatic field. And how we begin to uh, shift those is to acknowledge that they are alive in our bodies and they're a very deep center, which is why sometimes when, when it comes to these really core beliefs, affirmations are ineffective. Because if we're doing affirmations kind of from the, you know, the, 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 our heads, we're doing them from our upper chakras, you know, we're in some spiritual truth and, and on some level we get it. Or we even feel it in our hearts, you know, we open our hearts and we feel it for a moment. Somehow it's the lower part of our body that's really concerned with physical form here on planet Earth. You know, the first chakra, I'm not a chakra queen or expert even by any means, but I think this is something that we kind of collectively are aware of. Those lower parts of the body, the first chakra is all about money and home and tribe. And, you know, the second chakra is sexuality and creativity. The third chakra is power and how we are empowered in our relationships. So it's the lower part of our body that's really holding these beliefs about love. So when we realize they're in our, you know, our solar plexus, this, this kick in the stomach feeling like I'll always be alone and everyone will always leave me, we have to get deeper and wider than that. And there's um, many ways to do that. And I think there are um, unique ways that each of us need to do that. So those of us who are meditators, for example, who understand who have explored parts of the self that are kind of outside of time. We have access to a recalibration of who am I really when it comes to this idea of I'm alone. Some of us are um, extremely competent in many areas and uh, have mastery over uh, certain you know, success principles. And we're able to manifest certain things in the world, but we haven't been able to manifest love for ourselves. So we borrow against these parts of ourselves that are holding wisdom and perspective and love. And, and we, we tenderly re-mentor those parts of us that are stuck in an old story. The first, place that gives, the first question that gives you access to that is once you've named it, you say, how old are you, sweetheart? 
Because mm. there's always some felt sense in the body about a chronological age. I'm on, I'm four, I'm four, mm-hmm. or I'm six. You know, so there's usually, and I because identity is forming all the way up, really through the age of 21 in many ways. And sometimes if you have a trauma at the age of 18 or 19, you can even form an identity from that. But but we're working with, you know, the very foundational sense of self, Now you know, that we're wanting to transform. And I'll tell you why this is critical, Coot, is because where we're centered in our identity is where we're generating life from. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right? In those areas, it's like super simple to just like, oh, yeah, money always comes to me or, oh, yeah, I have a ton of friends everywhere I go. Like, we don't have to give it much thought. It's usually because our identity is congruent with that. And where we struggle in life is where the, our identity is incongruent with having what it is that we desire. So we're, we're, we're needing to, to first say, how old are you, angel? You know, and then to extend love to the part of you that's suffering in that story. So that's why I'm saying if you're a meditator, who is the you that's extending love? Well, that's the you of the deeper center. You can hold that part of you like you're holding a child. And you can love that part of you. And I think it has to start in our relationship with us. Because when we say you have to learn to love yourself before you can love another, what we mean is... If you have a belief, and we'll we'll just carry this one through, but there's like 21 of them that are the main core beliefs around identity that I can share a little later, but, but let's stay with the I'm alone. If you have a belief that I'm alone, um, when you do get into a relationship, you will often form this kind of, you know, self-abandoning thing because even any kind of disagreement, depending on how, you know, how toxic that aloneness was or how consuming that aloneness was, any kind of, you know, uh, differences or break in, break in the connection can send you into anxiety. This is the core of insecure attachment that so many of us struggle with. There's an anxiety that comes up because now we need someone, but they might leave us. Right. And so there's a tendency towards self-abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. So when we have this this tendency towards self-abandonment, well, we're leaving ourselves alone. Mm-hmm. So we're rewounding ourselves constantly, which is confirming that story. So we can have all of the spiritual platitudes and affirmations we want, but if we're skipping over and abandoning that self in the body, just running, you know, right over it, the inner experience is validation of the story. So we have to start getting conscious of how we're perpetuating the story, even in our own relationship with ourselves. If you have an I'm not good enough, it means you're constantly criticizing yourself and pushing yourself to do more, 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 more. You're not celebrating your accomplishments. If you have um, an I'm not wanted, um, you really don't want your life. You don't want yourself. You don't like who you are. You're constantly rejecting yourself. Um, if you have, uh, and I'm not safe, um, you're not creating safety for yourself. 
you're you're doing your life like you know you're not getting health insurance or you're driving too fast or you know you're you're letting you're you're opening yourselves up to uh people you barely know sexually and without taking you know having certain conversations around safety like you're doing all sorts of things that are putting you in danger so the first place we have to go is beginning to identify a deeper truth, which is, you know, number one, I'm not, I'm not alone. I came here to love and be loved. I have the power to create beautiful, healthy, happy connections with others. I have the power to learn new skills that will allow me to sustain love over time. Mm-hmm. So, it, and then, and then it's it's going into, you know, sweetheart, you're not alone. I'm right here with you. I've got you, and you, you, in your mind's eye, you pick yourself up. From the crib, right. you hold, right. you hold yourself, you love yourself. I've got you. I've got you. I'm right here, sweetheart. You're not alone. I've got you. I'm right here. So there's this this inner congruence that begins to happen, and this is when we talk about well, we have to be whole people. We can't complete each other. We have to be whole people. This is what it is to be a whole person. You know, a lot of us don't. We know these ideas. We know the destination, but we don't quite know the roadmap. Yes. Right. So, yes. So this is what we're talking about. This is the roadmap. I love what you're talking about in terms of really the application, the practical, real, compassionate application of love to the part of yourself that is hurting, you know, and providing that space of healing within oneself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's where it starts. And then there, and then, and then we begin to identify the ways that we've been showing up with other people that are perpetuating the story. Mm. So, for example, if you have an I'm not wanted story, what that story tends to do is, um, you know, and you have to remember these stories are outside of conscious awareness. They live for us like a breath. They just kind of take over our bodies and they live for us as a breath. So we're naming something that is, um, you know, has been unnameable before. And and we're using language to, to capture it, to try and describe it. It's a little undescribable. So sometimes, you know, I have people even create works of art because it's such a somatic thing, you know, do a sculpture of what it looks like, that that story, the I'm not wanted. I think in, in Calling in the One, there's an exercise like that. Mm-hmm. And um, because we have to, we want to start to give it form so that we can begin to externalize it and we can, we can separate from it because until we give it a form, it lives as who we are. We're overly identified with the story. Mm-hmm. And we forget that we either breathed it in from our lineage, like we inherited the consciousness because we're I'm from the I'm not wanted tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or we or we formed that conversation when we were too young to know any better, because we mm-hmm. children don't have any sophistication. You start getting sophistication at the age of five to begin to cognize and you know, understand things at a deeper level, the the subtleties and the nuances that are going on. But before that time, everything's just about me. It must be about me. It must be my fault. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to kind of name this, but, but what happens when we're kind of consumed with the I'm not wanted and it's outside of conscious identity, 
we'll just assume no one wants to hear what we have to say. So we come in the room forceful. We come in the room aggressive. Our energy is too friendly. Right, right. It's, it's a little bit too in your face. Well, what, what happens when someone does that? Well, we back up. So, so it's a mini rejection everywhere they go, validating the story, validating the story, validating the story. So when we're talking about self as source, we're making visible the kind of unconscious ways that we're showing up with people that are generating evidence that the story is true. Right. It's really deep. It's kind of like an emperor has mm-hmm. no closings. So once you start living in this mm-hmm. story, you start living in these distinctions, Coot, everywhere you go, you can start mm-hmm. to see everybody generating their story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've had experience, everybody's had experiences like that. You know, you date somebody and then somehow they do something, but then they're projecting it onto you. But there was no win. Like they set you up for that story. You had no say in that story. This is what I mean. Like we're all kind of enrolling each other in our stories. And so much of it is unconscious. It's all unconscious. Yeah. And what's beautiful is, as I'm hearing you, you could say uh, unravel, unpack different layers. I mean, there's so many dimensions. Uh, it, it's it's really a, a, a process of becoming conscious to all the layers and the stories and the distinctions and the, the dimensions within ourselves, uh, which is really, really powerful, really powerful. Um, yeah. You mentioned a few others. Um, just for time's sake, I would love to hear them. You mentioned a few others, you know, that, that I'm not alone, I'm not wanted, I'm not good enough, these stories, I'm not safe. You mentioned that there were 21. Could, could you? Yeah, I'd have to look them up. I don't know if I have them all on the tip of my tongue, but yep. I'm bad is a big or one. Whatever you, whatever you remember. I'm bad. Yeah. I'm a burden. I'm, bad. Okay. I'm, a burden. I'm not valuable. Mm-hmm. I'm unworthy. Um. I'll have to look them up. I'm I'm actually mm. I'm actually really fascinated with them and I'm breaking them all down now. So that's kind of a mm. a research project that I'm engaged in um on a really deep level. Like what exactly because they're all different ways of relating. It's just fascinating yes. to me. They're all mm. predictable and um and there and then sometimes you have a bit of a cocktail, you know, so you might have um oh I'm invisible is another one. So you might have, uh, you know, I'm at the very center, I'm not safe, but then what you did as a, you know, three-year-old to to figure out how to be safe is you made yourself invisible Mm -hmm. so that your rageaholic father wouldn't target you. Um, And then that became an I'm invisible because your way of forming your relational skills was to be safe and relationship is to disappear yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's 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 those of us who, you know, date narcissists over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So tend tend to, you know, be kind of but but you see, it's a bit of a cocktail because you have kind of two yes. of them interlocking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, and maybe some of know. us more. Yeah. Oh, and then I, I uh, one woman I worked with um, had her very core was I'm like bad, but like rotten to the core. Mm-hmm. And so she felt like uh, because she was so rotten, she would hurt anybody. Now, this is a really interesting story. So this is a woman who 
was uh, originally supposed to be a twin, born as a twin. And her twin disappeared in the womb. It's, it's called disappearing twin syndrome or something. And sometimes the other twin just doesn't take and so dies and then and then get that 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 kind of that that little potential fetus gets absorbed. Mm. And of course, you know, the other fetus is there. So in some ways gets absorbed into the creation of, of the baby who survives. Well, that happened to her in the womb. And the consciousness that she formed around that, now this takes a while to really sit and go deep, right? Um, The consciousness that formed around that is that uh, she's a killer. She's Mm. a killer. She's a murderer. Mm. She's rotten to the core. She will take up so much space that she will not let anyone else breathe. So, okay, so now she's this adult woman, but she's had this pattern in relationships um, where she has, uh, you know, she just, she, she ends up really hurting other people. And so then she keeps herself alone for years at a time because she doesn't want to hurt anybody. Mm. So it formed, it crystallized into a consciousness. So it's, I'm bad, but then she's got an, I'm alone. But Mm. when you really look at it, and the first thing that occurs to her is I'm alone you know, she wasn't conscious of any of this until, you know, until we started to really unpack it deeply. But, but, but when she got it, it was like, oh my gosh, that's my whole life, right? Because she's trying to protect other people. That's why she has to be alone. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. These beliefs are so pervasive and they so drive how we create our lives that um, in her 20s, now she's in her 60s now, but in her 20s, she actually married a murderer. She actually wow. married somebody who killed his whole family when he was like uh, 17 or something. And he went to prison wow. and because he was a minor, he only went for 10 years or something. And then he got out and she married him and she felt comfortable with him because you see, he too, she too was a killer. That's how she was holding herself. It was familiar. Isn't that wild? Now she, she, none of this yeah. was conscious. So then when you, when you go, so, so then the question is, the main question is, well, how does one evolve beyond that? Mm. Well, there's parts of us that know the truth. There's, there's, now she's a very wise, intelligent, spiritual, deep, developed woman in her 60s. And she can hold that little mm. forming fetus and she can say, sweetheart, you didn't kill your sibling. It just wasn't their time to be born. They changed their mind. They decided not to come. You didn't do anything. You're innocent. You're good. You're worthy. You're safe. Right? To start to mentor that part of her and then start to just be more aware of, you know, the tendency to keep herself alone because she's going to hurt somebody. So then maybe she needs to build some skill in how to create safety in relationship. Right? So there's a growth edge for her. She doesn't know how to actually create safety. Because here's the thing. It's not like she wasn't hurting people. She was hurting people. Because inside of that belief of I'm dangerous to other people, I hurt other people, she never learned how to build trust and safety in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So she was really reactive. She would attack. She would create drama. 
Right, which, you know, that's just a lack of skill, really. But we don't learn these basic skills inside of those false beliefs because it doesn't even occur to us to do it. Anyway, it's a very exciting, emergent um, yes. understanding of how we're the source of our experience. You mm-hmm. asked that one question and look what you opened Indeed. it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's we just one have, of the inner obstacles to love, oh, by the way. <laughs> It's the biggest one that we deal with. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's the biggest one we deal with. And we really, you can see how deep we go in our community with it. It's definitely the foundation of what I'm hearing. You know, it's a foundational core. It is. um, But there are other things, too, that we look at. And I can give that to people. um, Just resentment, if you're carrying resentment towards someone, means you're Mm. pointing the finger at them and blaming them. You might even be carrying resentment towards yourself and blaming yourself mm-hmm. towards past hurts in relationship. But mm-hmm. as long as you're carrying resentments, it, it's an indicator that you haven't yet learned your lesson from what you needed mm-hmm. to do. You haven't taken full responsibility for exactly how you behaved that set you up for that disappointment and figured out the way to make an amends to yourself moving forward so you can trust yourself to never do it again. Because if you're holding resentment, that means that you don't know what you're going to do differently next time, which means you don't trust yourself. You might say, you might say I don't trust men or I don't trust women, but really you don't trust yourself. Mm. Right? So resentment like is something the, we need to the resentment is a, look through. Is, is symbolizing that we, we have actually haven't learned our lesson fully yet. And, yeah, uh, we haven't learned so, what we need so to yeah, learn. Yeah, I, I would just invite everyone listening to just look at where which places or where you are carrying resentment in your life. Just take a moment as, you know, Catherine is, is speaking to, to just maybe make a list and, and explore where you're carrying resentment in your life and become conscious of that for the element. So what else, what, what were the other ones, Catherine? The, the well, where you're carrying resentment. And if I can complete that sentence and what your part of that was, even mm-hmm. if it was covert, like you didn't speak up or you ignored the red flags, like what was your part And what will you do differently moving forward? What's the amends you're now going to make to yourself moving forward in life? And that's what's going to allow you to learn your lesson Mm. and and restore trust in your ability to be close to someone again. Um, And then the second one is has to do with old agreements that we've made. And those agreements serve as intentions. I'll never love anyone more than I love you. I'm never going to let myself get hurt like that again. Uh, My sister's the beautiful one. I'm the smart one. Like whatever, you know, promises you've made that never got renegotiated that are inconsistent with Mm -hmm. the future that you want to create now for yourself, you have to go back and identify them. And, um, and uh, and really and renegotiate them, and then the third has to do with what I call toxic ties, and those are long, usually long-term relationships with someone in your family or an old friend where you are losing personal power. You're unable to set boundaries. Um, you are. Uh, you don't tell the truth because. You don't want to rock the boat or you're afraid of the other person's reaction. So you're kind of being held hostage by someone who is actually less conscious than you are. So in order to create and manifest an empowered relationship, we need to have you empowered in all of your relationships. So I go very deeply into this and the gift that I'm giving everybody so that people can actually 
go through the process a bit more. We're rushing through it right mm-hmm. now, but but if anyone is interested, you know, they can they can come and join me for uh, a free seminar that I offer that's online that people can uh, go through these these inner obstacles to love, including identifying your own uh, false love identity, we call it, those core beliefs that we were talking about. Beautiful. Is there anything, I mean, we are uh, moving out of time here, Catherine, but, and, and it's been a fascinating conversation. I think everyone listening in, you can see why this woman is really amazing uh, and full of depth and richness. And uh, we're going to share the link to uh, her work and where you can access a special program and go with, much deeper uh, with with Catherine. But Catherine, it, it, for those that might be, let's say, in a place where they're, they're feeling like, Catherine, I'm, I'm, I'm really ready. I'm ready for the one. They've, they, they've done uh, the work. They've cleared some of the past baggage. And they feel genuinely open and available, and there's a there's a you know, vitality there in their hearts. Are there any other things that someone in that place could maybe do to, uh, let's just say, call in the one? Uh, are there any other things that they could put into yeah. place within themselves in their lives to like to be magnetic, to invoke, to to create the space to actually call in the one? Could you share that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we're we're talking about um, kind of, you know, entering into the realm of magic, right? Yes. And we're we're all magicians. So so one of the things you can do is to begin to flood your body um, in kind of a guided sitting meditation where you imagine that you're already in the relationship you desire to be in. And uh, you allow yourself to mm-hmm. almost use all of your senses. Like, what does it smell like to have dinner being cooked for you right now? Or the scent of the mm-hmm. flowers that he or she just brought you today? You know, like really engage your senses. And what does their laughter sound like? Or, you know, imagine him or her singing in the shower in the next room. And so that you're you're kind of in the mm-mm-mm-mm of that, you know, the deliciousness of it. And... Um, and then you can ask, uh, and this comes from Michael Beckwith, you know, what would I need to let go of in order to receive this into my life? And what would I need to embrace in order to see this, to, to, to ready myself to receive this? And then I also like to ask, and what's my next step in bringing this forward? So that you're entering into this co-creative process. I think I think a lot of us make the mistake of, you know, writing a list or, you know, even, you know, kind of putting a request somehow on our vision, on our altar, or we make a vision board, but we forget that we are now, um, that the universe now is is going to co-create the fulfillment of that, so that that vision mm-hmm. comes through us and not just to us. So the value of making a vision board is that it awakens you to a new possibility and you will behave differently inside of that future. And that's why I say we don't work from the past backwards. We are past forwards. We want to work from the future backwards. So you're, mm-hmm. you're living into that future. So what's the thing today to create that? So for example, if you see in your visioning, you know, as you're sitting there and you're imagining and you're seeing you and your beloved hosting a dinner party and you hear laughter and you know everything smells good in your home then 
you know, host a dinner party next weekend. Like, be active, generate the, that future, right? Participate in the creation of that future. So that's what they can do right now. I love it. Participate in the creation of your future. Beautiful. You know, Catherine, is there a, uh, I mean, you've shared so much, and I feel like I definitely would love to have you back because I feel, I, I honestly feel like we're just beginning our conversation. And so if you open at some point, we'd love to have you back so we can continue from this point onwards. If there was like one uh, practical, I mean, you've said a lot in the conversation. I love what you said about really participating uh, uh, in your creating your future. I love what you said about really flooding your body. I think that was really, uh, really beautiful. Is there is there a practical homework, one specific homework assignment that uh, those listening into this conversation could actually do uh, that you feel sure. would perhaps most benefit them within the next 24 hours, something that they could do to really take what you've said and apply it in their lives? Like what's one assignment that they could do right now? Well, I think, you know, we, we've spent so much time talking about how to evolve beyond core beliefs, and I'm sure that opened up a lot of inquiry for people. So I kind of would like to invite us to go back there. And and I, I just want to tell people how you can identify what your core love identity might be, that, that core, you know, smaller conversation about who you are. And, um, and uh, then teach you what you can do once you discover it. So... So what you want to do is um, think of a recent disappointment that you had in love where you had a different expectation and then it, you were hoping or a different hope and it went, you know, kind of went south. But it felt like, oh, this again, like, oh, you know, I know this story. I keep trying to get away from this story. Um, and, you know, so that's just maybe rejection or, you know, somebody is hitting on your friend and not no one's hitting on you and, you know, or whatever that moment is and kind of go back to that moment and see where that moment landed in your body. Like you have to almost pretend that you're back there for a moment um, and, and feel where you felt the pain of that. And then see if you can identify what's the I am or the I am not conversation that's right here. And that, and then you can say, and that's going to be like, I'm not worthy, or I'm always going to be alone, or I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not wanted. So there's some, there's some core conversations. Just see if you can, you know, you might have a few come up, but just see if you can actually name just one of them. And then you want to say two questions. The first question is, how old are you, sweetheart? Mm. And then you want to extend love. I got you. I'm right here. I'm listening. And then you want to and then you want to ask yourself what's really true about this idea that I am or I am not. And you think from your holistic self. Right? So you start to push back on the assumptions by getting clear about what's really true. And then once you get what's really true, you can start to actually say what's really true about you, sweetheart, is this. That's like a little mini course I just gave you. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Beautiful, folks. That now, was a, a deep dive homework. That was, you just. A deep dive homework, exactly. But I, but I, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I want to just say, I also, I do train coaches in this because you can see how rich mm-hmm. it is. I have a lot of mm-hmm. therapists come to me. They take the calling in the mm-hmm. one coach training just because they want to learn mm-hmm. how to do this kind of thing with their clients and their practices are soaring. But it's open to lay people too, like people who've never been coaches. So, awesome. um, Awesome. But the place that people would start is with the the gift that I'm offering. Yeah, what's the best way calling, people can find out about Well, callingintheone.com. Callingintheone.com is is where people can go and access this 90-minute free workshop. And um and then you, you know, when you do that, you get on our list so we tell you when things are or you can just go to my website katherinewoodwardthomas.com if you mm. want to find out more. But the gift that we have today is, is at callingintheone.com. Mm, beautiful. Folks, you heard it, callingintheone.com. We'll also uh, put the link on the show notes. I just want to encourage everyone of you listening into the conversation. I think you you can see why Catherine is amazing. And just want to invite you all to uh, to, to, to go to her website, callingintheone.com, and uh, really delve into her work. It's powerful. It's inspiring. It's deep. And I think it's uh, profoundly transformative. And definitely, I want to invite you to take some time for yourself and do the homework that Catherine uh, just set for us. Um, deep dive homework for sure as she's simplified, laser focused, powerful, uh, powerful, powerful indeed. Um, folks, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your takeaways from this conversation with Catherine Robert Thomas, uh, best-selling author of Calling in the One, an amazing book. If you haven't checked out the book, definitely check out the book. I would love to hear from you. Email me, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. Catherine, uh, this has been a beautiful conversation. We'll ha- definitely have you back on the Soul Talk podcast. You are such an authentic heart, an authentic, uh, an, an authentic soul. And every time I speak to you, I feel your heart and it pulls us all deeper into that place of truth. So just thank you for your generosity and your sharing and, and your your genuineness. You're, you're doing amazing work in the world. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks, Kurt. So are you. And it's so good to be connected and visit with all your folks here. So thank you for having me. Folks, we uh, wrap up another amazing episode of the Soul Talk podcast, a place where we explore what really matters in life, a deep exploration into who we are, why we're here, and how we can make the most of uh, being uh, on this beautiful journey of life, living authentically having real conversations. So I look forward to seeing you and being with you in our next episode of Soul Talk. Please download this episode, share it with your friends and uh, catch you in our next episode of Soul Talk. Much love, everyone. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.